St. Warburg's Derby. So we've been um, thinking a little bit about this uh, idea around this sermon series of whole or holy living, what it means for us to kind of put some of this kind of relationship with Jesus into practice. And we've done a couple of weeks, we, and a few weeks ago we had um, Ruth here and we interviewed her about the issue of anxiety, which seems to be a bit of a, a plague that's kind of going through our nation at this time, that we are an anxious society. We talked uh, a little bit, we had Gavin come and speak to us about The Only Way is Ethics, which I thought was a really clever um, title, uh, and he kind of helped us to think through some of the ethical choices that we make. Uh, last week, Anna was talking to us about kind of spiritual disciplines and what it means to live a whole life, what it means to, about being authentic and being intentional. That if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, if we're going to look to the, the, the one whole life that we know of, which is Jesus Christ, we therefore need to be who we are, but we also need to be intentional about how we follow after him. And Anna's sermon, I know I am biased, but it was brilliant. So if you haven't listened to it, on, uh, do go and look. look. Um, interpretation of that is uh, go to the podcast and listen again to what she was talking about. But one of the things we've been really, within all of those series, in all of what we've been talking about, we've been thinking about choice. What are the choices that we make? How do we make wise choices and decisions? Last Sunday, I wasn't here in the morning because I was running the half marathon. And by the time I got to mile 10, I thought that this was the worst choice I have ever made. This was the most ridiculous thing. Why on earth was I doing this? It was the hottest day I've ever experienced, and I thought I was going to die. There's no exaggeration in that. I genuinely thought I was going to die. Uh, But also this week, it was our 15th wedding anniversary, and I realized that actually that was a really good choice. We all make choices day in, day out. Choices we are excited about, choices that we think that's really worked, and other choices where we think that's not quite worked. And actually, a whole load of choices that we just don't even really think about. What did you eat for breakfast? Where you get your coffee? What are you having for lunch? Those choices that we just make day in, day out, and we just get on with it. Choices everywhere. How do we decide? How do we make choices that lead to whole lives? We're going to jump straight in. We're going to look at two verses in Scripture today. So if you've got Bibles, um, open up to Romans chapter 12. If you haven't, uh, on the big Bibles in the sky will come the messages that you need to read. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. You'll be able to test the choices that God has for you. Let us pray. Loving Father, we thank you for these two verses that pack such a punch. We ask now, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you come and open these verses to us, that you take these well-known words and speak them into our hearts and into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, um, I don't know about you, but certainly for me um, as husband, one of the rules in our life is that Phil doesn't do the food shopping. Um, uh, and there are a couple of reasons for this. The first one is that Anna always knows that if I go to do the food shopping, I'm not only getting the stuff that she's asked me to get, I'm also getting a number of snacks for me. I mean, that's kind of a kind of unwritten rule. that Sausage roll, pack of crisps, can of Coke. It kind of, that's just how shopping works in my life. So Anna just kind of t- takes that away from me. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that it takes too long. It does Anna's head in for how long it takes for me to get around Asda or Audi or something compared to what it would do for her. And she's like, you will get it wrong. You will get it wrong. And that's why it takes me so long, because the decisions are so complex. The, there are too many choices. There are too many things that can go wrong. So Anna has to give me, if she does ever send me to the supermarket, not just a list of kind of, you know, we want ham. She tells me the type of ham the type of size packet that it comes in, and where on the shelf I can find it. She has to be that kind of level of specific because there are too many choices of ham, and I will get it wrong. It's just too complex. It's too difficult. We have all been trained all our life in how to make these types of choices, and some of us have got good at it, and some of us haven't. Consumerism is what is our prevailing culture that goes on in our world at this time. You cannot move for consumerism, and if you try to come up with a way to get out of consumerism, what you'd end up doing is writing a book about it and selling it. And then we're back into the whole consumerism thing again. You cannot get out of choice and consumerism. It is everywhere. Some statistics that I've heard back in 2003, so just imagine how much this has changed since then. In 2003, it was said that the average 10-year-old had, had memorized 300 to 400 brands. And 92% of children would ask for brand-specific products. Consumerism is our prevailing culture. It's everywhere. And into the midst of that, Paul, who wrote 2,000 years ago, writes these words that speak to us today. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, pleasing and perfect will. So what is this pattern of the world? And what have we been taught to do? And how can we understand it? I want to suggest there's a couple of things about consumerism that has shaped every single part of who we are and what our lives are about. Our cultural markers have gone. In in the old days, our cultural markers were things like where we grew up, our family, our community, our nation, our ethnicity. And nowadays, those cultural markers have left. The phrase is, Tesco ergo sum. I shop, therefore I am. We've gone from being to having. And this consumerism piece now consumes us. And so I want to say there are three things that consumerism has taught us and has shaped us and has an impact upon us. The first one is that we have learned to value the valueless. Or should I say we've learned the price of everything but the value of nothing. 
Consumerism has taught us how we make choices and buy things and choose stuff. It's taught us that we can place value on things that don't actually have any value. So uh, let's give the, the obvious example. Apple products, right? So they're good, they're brilliant, I love them, I, I'm a big fan, but we spend more on those products because we think it has greater value to us than a product that does pretty much exactly the same but doesn't have the brand. We're not just buying something for its parts and its labor and its creative thinking. We're adding other value, misplaced value onto the products that we purchase. And so therefore, we value the valueless. It's, it's meaningless, but someone's making a lot of money out of it. That's why some things are more expensive hugely more expensive than they should be. Second thing that consumerism has taught us is about identity. We don't consume things now just because of what they are. We consume them because they help shape our identity and shape who we are. Let me, again, classic example of this. Um, Andy Bond, come here, just for a moment. Just, Just, you know... Stand like a model. (laughs) Okay, so let's look at Mr. Bond for a moment, okay? Um, Good-looking guy. Um, Dare I ask where this is from? It's only next. Next. It's only next. It's only next. Okay? Okay, what Andy is doing in the shirt that he's wearing, the jeans, the... the, What are those shoes? (laughs) Okay, he is portraying an image. He's given off some kind of identity. He's showing to people that this is kind of the look that he wants to be. And therefore, he is identifying himself with people of a similar type of thing. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. If Andy had turned up wearing, um, I don't know, a, a heavy metal T-shirt, and you do have earrings... Um, (laughs) Um, and came with a different look he would be making an identity for himself that would look different and so not only now do we buy clothes because we need clothes to keep us warm we do we consume these products as identity markers the classic to this is a football top you buy a football shirt you wear your england top over the next few weeks you are identifying with a whole group of people and you're saying i want to be part of that Gang, I find my community there. I support that team. We now... You can go sit down. Thanks, mate. Our identity is shaped and formed around the things that we consume. And part of the problem with that is advertising. Advertising has shaped and affected who we are and how we think about products. And so now, because of social media, we get such specific advertising, it absolutely misdirects our identity. And if you're, you can then purchase whatever identity you want, depending on your consumer power, i.e. the money in your bank account. And we'll see it. If I was to ask you now, what are the brands that you associate with? What are the brands that you like? I bet you've all got an answer. Because you're 
projecting something about the brand into what you want, whether it's the type of car you want to drive, the type of phone you have, the type of clothing you wear. It says something about who you are. It's the identity that it work that it does in you. Consumerism has taught us to value the valueless, and it has told us that that's where we form our identity. It has also told us about desire. Consumerism, the the kind of critique of consumerism is that we just want more stuff, that we live in a world that just wants more. We desire more things. We're never happy, and so we get the next thing. And so we see that again. You know, a phone comes out. You then want the next phone that comes out. There's actually not that much difference other than it's got a new battery, and you just keep wanting more and more and more of the same stuff. But actually, there's a little bit more to what consumerism has taught us about desire. And this is one of my favorite quotes. I'm sorry, it's quite long. I've written it down. Um, But I think this is brilliant. So as desires and values, as diverse as belonging, success in sexual relationships, if you're wondering about that, just think Lynx deodorant. Okay, so if you use that product, you're going to be better at... Anyway. Um, Friendships, adventure, concern for the environment and political and ethical commitments are attached to objects of of consumption. The act of consumption becomes overdetermined because so much is at stake. That's why I can't get around a supermarket. It's too difficult. There's too many choices. It's too much at stake here. Thus, more and more is at stake in our consumption, and we have fewer and fewer resources to guide us. Since consumer commodities can never deliver on the promised resolution of values, each decision becomes a fleeting still point in the market cacophony. Values are stabilized, and anxiety of choice is relieved, but only momentarily. Then the inevitable failure of that commodity's promised synthesis drives us back into the marketplace for endless, futile repetitions. That's desire. We have effectively learned to desire desire. We want to be desiring the next thing. And that's what consumerism has taught us to do, that we go from the next thing to the next thing. And we can't find that satisfaction because it's never actually resolved. So consumerism has taught us to value the valueless. It's helped to shape our identity dependent upon our financial well-being. And it's told us to desire desire. That our anxiety is never fulfilled by what we consume. And so we've taken the lessons that we've learned in consuming products and we've moved it into life in turn itself. And so now we take those things and we put them on our relationships. We put them upon our marriages, our job satisfaction, our culture, our faith. That we can just consume more and want more and find our identity in different things. But if we don't like it, we'll just drop it and move on to something different. Paul says... Do not conform to the pattern of this world, those things. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word here, transformed, um, in Greek is, um, I think you pronounce it, metamorpho, which sounds a bit weird. It is the root word for where we get metamorphosis. It's that kind of concept, concept that, you know, we've gone from a, uh, what is it, a caterpillar to a butterfly. We are completely and utterly changed. We are totally 
transformed in the way that we think. It's the same root word that we get um, for the word repent. Repent is metanoa. It's, it means to change one's mind. It means to kind of t- 180 degree change. It's t- something totally different. Don't conform to those patterns, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Metamorphosis into something different. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn close. And the kingdom of God isn't a kind of physical jurisdiction. It is wherever God is king. It's where he has rule and reign over our lives. It's telling us to change the way we think because he is king. And so as we look at these things that consumerism has taught us in the light of the kingdom of God, we say, well, value the valueless. Is that a kingdom of God thing? Well, actually, yes, it is. We've become a society that just throws things away. Actually, if we can really value the valueless, the people who we think have no value, actually things start to change. Genesis 1, creation story, tells us that we find our value not in what is useful to us or what does an identity mark or anything else, but we find value in whose we are, who has created us. And that value is shown to us because how much God was prepared to pay for it. We often talk about the fact that forgiveness is a free gift, but forgiveness cost everything. Someone had to pay, and Jesus paid. That is our value. Our identity. The kingdom of God says that our identity is not found in the products that we consume, but in is whose we are. We are children of God. We are adopted into his family. We are chosen. We are loved. Our identity is in the fact that God is our father who created us and loves us, and we are his So we find belonging and community in the kingdom, not in the clothes that we wear. We find new life and kind of this conversion metaphor, not in being able to take off one type of clothing and buy another set, but in Jesus, in what he has done for us. And what does the kingdom of God say about desire? We're told to desire more of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, we can only be satisfied. Our desire can only ever be fully met in Jesus. And that is not a consumerist approach. That is not a kind of, you'll think that you're going to have your, your desires met and then you'll be let down and you have to go back to find something else. No, no, no. Jesus says, come and feed and drink from him. He is the only one. The only one. So do not conform to the consumers and the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the re- renewing of your mind. Repent of the old things and change the way you think and look towards the kingdom of God. Then you'll be able to choose God's will, his pleasing, his perfect will. But Paul starts Romans 12, that verse we've been talking about, with verse 1. I urge you, 
he says. I exhort you, I desire, I admonish, I beg, I pray, I plead with you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and perfect worship. This is holy living. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I urge you not to conform, but be transformed. Why? In view of God's mercy. Mercy. It's not getting what we do deserve. We deserve to be kind of swept up in the whole consumerist piece. We deserve to keep going back into this market uh, with futile repetitions of unfulfilled satisfaction. We deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. We deserve separation from Jesus. But God's mercy means that we don't get what we deserve. So don't make the choices the world tells you. Allow God's mercy to transform your mind. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. This is from the message version. that just tries to sum up what I'm trying to say in so much better. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat because we can't get out of consumerism. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Our minds need to be transformed by the fact that God pours out mercy upon us, that he chooses us, that he loves us that he paid the price for us. And as we repent, lay down our choices that the patterns of the world has told us to do, we find him there. He helps us then to make the choices that we make day in, day out. Whether that's about the big stuff, who do we marry, what job, what career we're going in, or whether it's about the small stuff, what type of ham do I need to get so I don't get told off. He's in our choices as we seek the kingdom of God. And it stops that anxiety that we hold. So may we all choose to allow our minds to be transformed, to turn the way of thinking around, that we don't conform to the patterns of the world around us, but we allow his kingdom to invade our lives to shape us, to mould us, so that we are living out what he has called us to do. Just imagine for a moment what your life starts to look like with that mindset. How you respond to the annoying person at work. 
how you deal with your children when they're winding you up. Now start to think about the impact that that has when you see a whole church living like that. Not driven by consumerism, not driven by the fact that we find our identity in the brands that we wear, but actually finding our identity in belonging to the body of Christ. Because as I see that, I start to see a transformed city. I start to see a city that comes alive because people are finding alternatives to what the world is telling them because the world doesn't know the first thing about living. So may we be that type of community that lives this out day in, day out, following after him, allowing our minds to be transformed as we reflect and respond to God's mercy in our lives. Amen.